Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I am married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I, I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then and you're re- Reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? Right. Hey there, everybody. It's Carol Jorgensen Sheets, aka Carol the Coach, and I am so happy to be with you tonight. You know, I've been dealing with computer issues, and so I'm so ready to talk to people and to disseminate information and to deal with things that I absolutely know the best. And that's why I thought tonight we would talk about Sex Addiction 101. What are the basics about sex addiction? And I, I have been running a group ever since 2009, so it's been 10 years now. And I run this group. It's a 15-week group with a two-week interim to add new guys, to give them a little bit of a break, to see if they can socialize in between the groups. It has a variety of reasons to have that 15-week component. But every once in a while, I get lucky enough to have an intern worth his weight in gold. And tonight, I'm going to be interviewing Jonathan who actually said to me, Carol, you know, I've been listening to your show, and I really do believe that what would be in my best interest and perhaps your listening audience's best interest, absolutely to talk about sex addiction, how to get started, why would somebody do it, what can we look for, who can help with it. I mean, he's got a whole variety of questions that he wants to talk about. And so I said, absolutely, Jonathan, come on the show. Let's make this thing happen. And so we're going to be talking here in about 15 minutes about, you know, just the different questions that the normal person might ask. And so please listen to the show because I don't care how educated you are. It's always good to get 
new people's perspectives on, you know, what is sexual addiction versus what is compulsion. Um, And, you know, when we're able to talk about that or hypersexuality or all the different names that this disorder has, you're better able to decide what do you want to call it. Now, most of you know the Global World Health Organization decided to give a diagnosis to compulsive problematic sexual behavior. They didn't want to call it sexual addiction, and that's A-OK with me. We don't care what you call it. We just want it to be insurance reimbursable. We want to get treatment for it, and we want to help people know that there are treatment modalities and recovery issues that are pertinent to the behavior. So, hey, I thought I would talk a little bit about the difference between a compulsion and addiction. So, I really wanted you to know what we see as compulsions. Now, compulsion is a repetitive behavior or a mental act Um, gets men and women driven to perform in response to an obsession. These behaviors or mental acts are aimed at reducing or preventing some dreaded event or situation. However, they're not connected in a realistic way. What they are designed to do is to neutralize or prevent. So, if somebody has a compulsion They may perform the same act over and over again. It may increase in frequency. And it may interfere person's general milieu, his um, response to life itself. And these behaviors or acts always are disruptive. They take up time. They take people away from work, family, their social environment, and it has to be clinically significant. Addiction, on the other hand, is self-soothing. You know, it's for people that create a medication, if you will, to self-soothe an emotional state. So, you know, while the feeling of being driven to act out is somewhat indistinguishable from compulsion, the rigidity about the acting out itself is far less important to the addict than is the addict acting out. In other words, an orgasm is delayed purposefully as that is the end of the high. What to do is continue the dopamine release as long as possible. So that's one definition of addiction. And this is from my friend, James Anir, and he um, put together a YouTube on the difference between compulsion and addiction. Now, with addiction, if you've ever seen my um, The Gifts of a Sex Addict, you can Google it and with my name and it'll come up. It talks about 10 things that occur with addiction. One is that loss of time. There's actually time distortion. It absolutely takes away that sense of time. 
And there's an awareness that it's a problem, but it is not necessarily disturbing to them because the reward is greater than the problematic behavior. It can definitely be compulsive um, in terms of anxiety reduction, and it can create a disturbance to other people, you know, family, friends, workers. Part of the reason that it's a disturbance is because it's based on lies. It's based on social isolation. It's based on disconnection. And we all know it's based on compartmentalization. Now, for you just tuning into the show that may not know much about sexual addiction, I always tell my clients that oftentimes they can love their family, they can be a deacon in their church, they can raise funds for a political uh, arena, And yet, they have this big lie about themselves that, if discovered, would interfere with all those other compartments. But addicts are excellent at putting their acting out in one compartment, their family in another, their work environment in another, their hobbies in another. And by compartmentalizing, they are able to continue all the behaviors simultaneously and use the rationalization or justification that they're not hurting anybody. Compartmentalization keeps an addict from the awareness they need to get help. And that's why we oftentimes say an addict needs to hit rock bottom. Because when an addict hits rock bottom, He can no longer compartmentalize or she can no longer rationalize and justify. She sees the behavior for what it is. Also, a sense of hypersexuality. Um, There there is this, um, this hypersexual behavior that really interferes with, if you will, that sense of true um, restfulness that comes with sexuality. For many of you, hypersexuality is a real thing. It does not unilaterally take the place of sexual compulsion or sex addiction. It is when the addict is wanting sex with his or her spouse all the time as well as everyone else. And, you know, oftentimes somebody who is hypersexual says, hey, it's just me, it's my hormones, it's, it's how I am. Now, truly, this can be problematic. I, as well as James say, If your behavior is a problem for you or your partner, it is a problem for the coupleship. And you've heard me say it before, sex addiction is a recovery issue, but it is also a relational issue. And so you have to look at it in terms of how is it affecting you and your relationship 
If you're divorced or you've never been married, how's that affecting your family? Um, how's that affecting your work, your coworkers, your friendships? Problematic sexual behavior, all sorts of different ways. Now, oftentimes, I diagnose my clients with an impulse control disorder. You know, there's a lot of sex addicts, compulsive sexual behavior, problematic sexual behavior population that has comorbid ADHD. And here's the deal. Oh, I am so on the fence about this. Because I know sex addiction oftentimes looks like ADD. Many times I think we have trained our brain, one's a sex addict, to have acting out behaviors and a lack of of impulse control and a lack of focus that looks like ADD. But that's because, you know, you started with porn and you're on the Internet and there's 10,000 screens up and you go from one to the next to the next to the next to the next. And you train that brain not to be able to stay focused. And if you talk to a sex addict, Every sex addict that I've ever talked to says that one of the driving forces in their addiction is wondering what else is out there. And when one is asking what else is out there, that means you're never really able to stay in the present because they're always looking for something else that's more intense that they haven't seen. And so oftentimes when somebody has an impulse control disorder, they may have ADD or the old ADHD, which is with hyperactivity. But I always say, hey, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Were there those symptoms present from the get-go before their sexuality was really formed? Or had their acting out behaviors contributed to that? That's what I want to know. And so as we look at sex addiction and as we talk about it tonight, we're going to be also talking about origins for sex addiction and what you can do and how does it affect people and what is, what are the issues, what is going on that would create something like compulsive problematic sexual behavior? Because one of the things we know is that it does exist, it's epidemic, and it's only going to get worse because, as you well know, many types of sexual addiction are affordable, anonymous, and accessible at any juncture. When you've got that kind of um, accessibility, you're in for trouble. My take on... um, Addictive behavior versus compulsive behavior versus other kind of issues that may lend itself to sexual addiction. And what I really believe that with a variety of treatment modalities, with the right tools, men and women can get better, they can get healthy, they can learn how to manage this, and they can get to the point where not only are they 
seemingly unaffected by it, but they give back. And when they give back, it restores their sense of self. And so I'm always excited for that part of the process because that's when somebody's self-esteem is by far better than it's ever been before. Program and sexual addiction recovery can make that happen. And so we love that because truly what we want to see for these guys and women is that they end up feeling good about themselves. There's no more self-loathing and they actually end up having good self-esteem. Now, I'm Carol Jurgensen. Sheets. You're listening to Sex Help with Carol the Coach. Tonight's show is about Sex Addiction 101, and I am so happy to have Jonathan on the line. Jonathan, how's your night going? It's going just wonderful, Carol. How's yours? Oh, um, other than working on a few computer glitches, I mean like I'm restoring the entire Apple computer, I'm doing oh, okay. I said, I said I'm so excited to get to be talking to people again because when it comes to money and computers, that's just not my ballgame. I am a people person. How about you? Um, I, 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 a little of both, I guess. Um, I, uh, uh, I tend to do uh, pretty well in working on my computers, but uh, I'd really rather not have to. I get that. And for my listening audience, Jonathan is one of my interns. He actually has helped me run a group for 13 weeks. He's going to be running it by himself next week when I am unavailable. And, you know, Jonathan, you put together a list of questions that you thought our listening audience would benefit from hearing a dialogue about. And one of the things you wanted to know was how does sexual addiction begin? And are there common childhood themes? And, and you know, it was interesting. You can say anything on this show. This show is um, not rated R, but it is absolutely an honest show. So tell our okay. listening audience what you learned tonight from the guys in group about their experience with pornography and sexual addiction. Sure. Um, well, it was uh, it was real interesting to to be able to, to ask the guys uh, the question uh, about it, and I was very uh, pleased with how open and honest everyone uh, was about it. For most of the guys, um, a pornography addiction was somewhat of like the gateway to a sex addiction. Um, there was one exception where it was first a development of a sex addiction, um, but then because of the sex addiction naturally gravitated to incorporate pornography uh, with that as well. But for most of the, and, and he did also say that he was older. And so he is he, a, um, uh, the use of internet porn was not part of his upbringing um, because it wasn't, it wasn't, the internet was not around uh, with the, the others in the group. Um, a pornography addiction, especially with the internet, uh, was 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 definitely a part of what drove them to uh, a, a full blown sex addiction. And you know that was no surprise to me because one of the things that I know is that whether it is pornography from Playboys or Hustlers, whether it was finding somebody's VHS, we've even had men talk about the old reel-to-reel, um, mm-hmm. when they experience that, 
there's a lot of intrigue that goes around that, as well as there's, it's, it's taboo. So you put together that this is taboo, I'm not supposed to be doing it, with the intrigue mm-hmm. of I've never seen anything like this, um, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I want to see more, it creates that compulsion. And earlier tonight I was talking about, you know, is compulsion different than sexual addiction? And truly I feel compulsion is a part of sexual addiction. It is different in that compulsion is not the entire meal deal. Sexual addiction turns out to be so for many of these guys, because they felt that compulsion, they mm-hmm. thought, Hey, this is when my sexual addiction started. What do you think? Well, I'm I'm still just learning the ropes <laughs> on, on on what um, uh, sexual addiction uh, even means. Um, I, I certainly see the connection uh, with any kind of addiction, and there being a compulsive uh, aspect to it, where it's it's out of control. They, they they cannot they, um, whether that be with smoking or alcohol or or various drugs or or with sex the idea uh, or pornography the idea that this has taken hold of their life their sense of self control and free will is not there um, there's a part of them that is just completely driven um, uh, to wish want to attain what it is that they perceive will make them happy. Uh, the idea of uh, the aspect of compulsion uh, is definitely part of, of the picture uh, for a sex addict. And, and also I would see virtually any kind of addiction that I'm aware of. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing that they didn't mention, and I was kind of surprised, um, mm-hmm. is that for some of them, trauma reenactment also fuses with that curiosity. You know, when a young boy or young female has been sexually exploited or sexually Mm -hmm. molested or maybe Mm -hmm. even participated in a sex play that was not exploiting or, or molesting, but it was something that they knew that they couldn't share with everybody. When you get those three kinds of situations together, it can fuse with that sexual curiosity and it can that mm-hmm. I I know that what's going on is something that's wrong because I'm not supposed to be telling anybody but I sure. still want to explore. And so mm-hmm. whether it's an exploitation or, you know, it's a, a compulsion due to just an intrigue as a young child, mm-hmm. that yep. can also lead to sexual addiction. Sure. And Carol, kind of along those lines, if you don't mind me asking, um, uh, is there, are, with the, 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 the development of the brain and um, uh, how we grow and develop, where someone who's ex- either exposed to pornography or is exposed to um, a sex act or, or, or what you were referring to earlier, um, it, that it would kind of um, uh, uh, morph their, their, their skew, their, their, their sexual understanding for life? Well, that is a really good question. And you know what I'll do? I'll put that out to our listserv. One of the great things about being a certified sexual addiction therapist is there are about 1,800 of that. But what I do believe to be true is that the younger something happens, especially during their early youth, you know, usually before they are prepubescent, and when that occurs, oftentimes they reenact that trauma so that they can take some control 
and make the decision that they're going to do that as opposed to have it done to them. Mm-hmm. The, um, does early exposure, I mean, especially early exposure to pornography have a similar uh, impact? Percent. We do know that. And as a matter of fact, you know, we're not brain scientists yet, but we're really looking at the brain. And we've not been able to determine when a child has, uh, has been exposed to pornography, but we mm-hmm. have been able to determine when a child has... Hmm. There are plenty of brain mapping studies that can actually isolate the approximate age of when that occurred because it leaves ruts in the neurocircuitry that are indicative of abuse. So, you know, as we get more sophisticated in terms of our science and and, uh, neuroscience, I Mm -hmm. believe someday we're going to be able to identify exactly, just like uh, the rings on a tree trunk and how old Mm -hmm. the tree is, we're going to be able to identify, hey, what happened to you at five and a half? Because Mm -hmm. we're seeing some to your brain at that point. Mm -hmm. Now, you had mentioned earlier about um, uh, abuse, uh, and then also we just mentioned about um, uh, early exposure to pornography. Does childhood trauma, uh, just more just trauma in general, um, prime someone for a future addictive uh, personality? In, in other words, okay, so there, it would, there, a, tra- a trauma that occurs in childhood can make it more likely that someone develops an addiction later in life? Yes, because so oftentimes... Oh, hold on a second. My Apple has decided to talk to me. So let me exit out right there. And how about here? (laughs) Okay, I think I've turned my volume down. I've got three computers up and my Apple, as I, as I indicated to my listening audience before, you have to talk to people right now. Um, <laughs> so you were asking about uh, trauma. See, where were we? trauma. Does childhood trauma um, increase the likelihood of an addiction later in life? Yes. Because it is natural for people to want to self-soothe their trauma. Mm-hmm. And so we know that drugs, alcohol, sex, gambling, eating, and working, when done compulsively, can all become medications for trauma. And, you know, we also know that the amygdala, that back part mm-hmm. of your primal brain that goes into fight, mm-hmm. flight, or freeze, oftentimes affects the prefrontal cortex which means that people don't have the same type of judgment that they've always had before. So between the need to medicate and the executive functioning being damaged or um, <laughs> disturbed, it means that they're ripe for developing addictions. Interesting. Um, I uh, read a stat recently that said that uh, – the average age in which children first see pornography on the internet is around the age of eight. 
Yes. Do uh, you five feel- years ago, that was 11. But now okay. the research indicates it's between 8 and 9. And, okay. you know, initially that was because um, somebody in the chi- child's household was looking at some sort of provocative pornographic images. Mm-hmm. Now what we know is that it is fodder at school it is absolutely what kids are talking about because they can't really at that age make sense of it. So they're mm-hmm. very curious and they want to share it with everybody because they know it's wrong. It's something they're really not supposed to see, but they don't understand it. So they know there's a novelty to it in which they want to share it with others. And, you know, mm-hmm. we've seen it time in and time out that, Anything that somebody doesn't really understand or is unusual, it goes viral. It is so novel that it goes viral, and that's that's what's happening. And as a matter of fact, Jonathan, I um, got into this business because I was getting a lot of requests from superintendents in schools to help them figure out how they could curb um, sexuality on the bus, in, in gymnasiums, Uh, after school, not only because of the actual acts that were taking place. I mean, I had a lot Uh of kids that were having oral sex on the bus because Uh it's very conducive to that. There's only one adult. He or she is driving. They're not Uh able to witness everything. Buses Uh had overgrown seats so that kids could Uh scratch down and, and partake in oral sex and all sorts of you show me yours, I'll show you mine. And as sure. if that wasn't problematic enough, what ended up happening, Jonathan, is that kids would then take out their flip phones, their smartphones, and they'd start videotaping so that they could mm-hmm. show other kids in their neighborhood, at the other schools. Mm-hmm. And so, again, this stuff was going viral. And the superintendents were very concerned about the actual behaviors, the actual exploitations, mm-hmm. but they were also worried about where was this data going and what, how did it affect the reputation of the school? Mm-hmm. What was your experience? You've been in this business now. You're going to graduate next month, correct? That is correct, yes. And so what issues have you had to face with maybe not sexual addiction, but behaviors, whether it be with men, women, or kids? Um, <clears throat> you mean as far as what I have worked with uh, clients with uh, or more exactly. just life experience? Oh, either one. Okay. Well, I, I can remember when, I mean, I'm 46 years old. And I can remember that when I was um, growing up as a kid, we we didn't have the internet uh, at that time. And the, uh, uh, our, uh, at our friend's house, uh, several of our friends often had pornography actually from their from their dads. Um, and there's one uh, kid down the street; they had like a, a, whole, a huge stash of pornography in in their bathroom. Um, there must have been hundreds. Uh, probably around 500 magazines or so that they had uh, stashed there. And it was just sort of like the norm um, within that, that particular family. And um, uh, remember it striking me as a little bit um, uh, alarming 
uh, I, I guess, as a, as a kid. Um, and then the, when you mentioned uh, oral sex and stuff on the bus, uh, that was, that was my group of kids, you know, that I went to school with. Um, we suspected that some of the kids would actually leave at lunch um, and uh, uh, fool around and then come back during lunch. And this is all in middle school. Um, it, it was um, kind of a twisted, distorted view of, of sexuality and, and also with um, pornography and, and some of the other uh, aspects there as well. I remember a friend of mine one time telling me, I think he was around the fourth or fifth grade, that he, he was wanting to clean up his language. He didn't like using cuss words, but he wasn't going to give up his pornography because he, he thought that was, that was too good. Um, and I remember as a kid thinking that that's, um, that's a little interesting <laughs> for, for someone to say who's only in the fourth or fifth grade, um, uh, considering that we have such a, a long life uh, ahead of us. Um, and then as I began to grow up, and um, uh, we actually left that town, but I kept in touch with, uh, with people. We had, we had uh, some of our, 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 my friends that were getting married, li- literally getting married and divorced before finishing high school, um, uh, largely because of pregnancies and a number of other uh, aspects as well, um, because it was sort of a, a sex-saturated uh, culture. And I, I, you can see a lot of that stemming from um, the, how wide uh, the, the access to pornography was uh, in the little town that, uh, that I grew up in. Uh, as, we, as we venture out with the, the age of the Internet, um, uh, I, I now have uh, – uh, I'm 46 and I have an 18-year-old daughter and a 15-year-old son and a 13-year-old son. And so I, I, as a parent looking back, I'm thinking, what, what, what do I do as a, as a, as a parent – to uh, protect my kids. And then this has also become very interesting to me, uh, this whole area of uh, um, uh, uh, sex addiction and therapy and, and counseling. And so I, a question that I would, I would then ask you, uh, Carol, is what can parents do to help protect their kids um, uh, from pornography? And then also from, um, I guess, uh, a, a um, how what can parents do to uh, put preventative measures in place to help prevent their children from developing an addiction, especially a sex addiction? Yeah, well, I can can do um, mm-hmm. and talking to them mm-hmm. about what have you learned at school, what have you learned from mm-hmm. your friends, and not reacting or overreacting in any way, but handling that information as if the child were talking about. A basketball game. I mean, mm-hmm. really encouraging that child to share his or her feelings is the best way is to stay open to them. But then I am of the old school that says if you have any reason to believe that your child is experimenting with pornography, is exper- um, that it is your duty to find out if, if you it's your duty to find out whether the internet is safe for them. And so mm-hmm. I have no problem with a parent saying to a child, you know, I'm going to give you this smartphone or I'm going to give you this iPad or I'm going to give you a laptop if you will agree that it's yours and it's mine. And what you mm-hmm. put on it is something I have the right to see and mm-hmm. that there's nothing private or sacred when it comes to internet tools. And then I think mm-hmm. they explain why. And, of course, the kid's going to poo-poo it. 
You know, if they mm-hmm. say, we know that there are people out there that will act like they're 15 years old, but they're really 55 years old, and there may be a time that I want to see who's emailing you or who's Snapchatting you or mm-hmm. who's Instagramming you. You have to be able to have that kind of agreement for the kids to get that that resource. And sure. kids aren't going to like it. They want their sense of privacy. But when it comes to the Internet, if you're under 18, I don't think you have privacy because it is a, it's a world where there are a lot of predators and parents need to keep their kids safe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there for, is a for wonderful, it. wonderful woman. Her name is Gail Dines, and I'd say she does the most research and predatorship and sexuality for kids. Um, she has a, a website called Culture Reframed. And I'm telling you, she is a research research. Oh, specialist. And so she'd be a great person to look up her website if you're a parent and you're concerned about what you can do to be safe and and to be upfront about that safety. I mean, I don't ever think anybody should sneak around and spy. I think Mm -hmm. it needs to be part of the bargain to begin with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I think that's very sound advice. Um, uh, When we uh, uh, gave our our kids their their cell phones, we have... um, uh, Google has a, uh, an app, a free app called Family Link, and one of the features that I really like about it is um, uh, they can access. Oh, they ha- there's a filter that Google has has in place, but um, the in general, they, they before they can access a in a website, um, they have to request permission, and so that we have it set up so um, when they uh, would like to go somewhere they um it it sends a request for permission to both myself and my wife in real time and then all i have to do is hit accept and then my child has access to that website so we're able to to monitor it uh, pretty well and then there's never been a time that they have needed to access something like for homework or something that either my wife or i were not able to at least hit accept um and then for our home internet, we have um, uh, Circle with Disney uh, installed on our router system, which um, uh, does a pretty good job in filtering and monitoring. And there's a whole uh, variety of different settings uh, for that. But even even with all that, in talking with my um, my oldest son, um, uh, I mean, he he's, he, has, he still has friends at school, you know, who will show them something on their own phones. Not you know, so I mean, there, there's limits to what. A parent, I think, can um, uh, prevent your child from seeing with devices that you provide or at home. But then there is there's um, there's also what's outside. So we certainly try to keep an, an honest um, and frequent conversation going uh, with our kids uh, regarding um, a healthy view of sexuality and uh, um, uh, you know developmentally where where they are with that. Well, and how did you, how did your daughter feel about the fact that you could monitor what she was looking at by virtue of the oh, fact that it asked permission? <laughs> it was actually a pretty easy conversation, uh, just from the upfront. Um, uh, as long as I'm paying for your phone, <laughs> uh, this phone is, is considered mine, and you get to use it. <laughs> Um, and if you have a problem with that, then then you don't have to have this phone. Um, and right. <laughs> I, 
I have uh, there there have of course been times in hemming and hawing, you know, why why can't I have access to this or why can't I have access to that? Um and it it just, you know, well because I love you is <laughs> really the uh uh, the reply um, I've seen too many times um, from other people what this has done. Um, I used to uh, uh, work as a, um, a youth minister at a church, um, and uh, in in working with teens who had developed a, a significant problem um, uh, uh, with uh, with pornography addiction uh, as a teen, uh, largely from their phone, um, it. Uh, uh, it made me more aware uh, in wanting to uh, uh, to curb that as as much as you can, um, and then also um, it. I've always had a, a kind of an open, an honest, and um, uh, lighthearted conversation uh, with my kids uh, about sexuality. Uh, so there's no real surprises uh, there. I think keeping it the conversation frequent, keeping it light, keeping it relevant. Um, uh, I think really helps uh, in, uh, you know, so that when something does happen and you do need to talk about something, uh, it, it kind of takes away that, that shock uh, factor uh, that would, uh, that would be part of it, that as well. Yeah. So let me ask you one more question since you're oh, a please. dad and, okay. and you, you know, are obviously um, really in touch with what you need for your own children does it scare you to think that there are predators out there that can actually, you know, work on trying to dupe your children? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, it, that I, I think uh, any any parent would um, uh, be very concerned for the safety of their their children. Uh, we've. Um, <laughs> On a side note, we've had all of our kids study martial arts, <laughs> partially for that reason. Um, but um, uh, it, the 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 world where you can have a predator contact your child through the internet um, uh, does become a bit scary. So we've 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 often had the conversation with our kids about um, uh, only befriending people on Facebook that they already know. Uh, or that are you know members of the family um uh if they're contacted by someone who they don't know uh they need to let us know about it and um uh in we have also checked with our kids from time to time about um asking them point blank so has anyone tried to contact you either by email or facebook or or something like that um someone that you don't know and uh, that has not happened yet, to my knowledge. Um, I don't think it has. Um, we've, we've tried to keep a, an open and honest conversation uh, with that. Um, there's also, also been times when, uh, for example, um, uh, we might, um, uh, my wife and I, we did an overnight, uh, and I just let my, my son know, uh, I will be checking your, your viewing history when I get back, <laughs> you know. I just want you to know that in advance that I will be doing that. Um, so um, uh, just to try to, to remind him that um, uh, don't try it, you know, uh, don't try to find a workaround. I will be, I will be taking a look at it. And it, it's, it, it, it's always been kind of a, an open and honest, um, Oh, okay, dad, you know, that type uh, uh, type scenario that mm-hmm. uh, has, has, has kept it comfortable. Um, uh, my, my kids have never, really resented uh too much i don't think the um yeah. uh 
uh, well, it's you know, like you've got a really of- good relationship, kids, and that is what makes all the difference in in working with kids and and in preventing sexual addiction and making sure that oh, sure. compulsion doesn't occur before their brain develops. You know what they do at yep. age eighteen, twenty, twenty-two, you have no control over, but certainly mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. do while they live in your own home. Now. I know that you decided to do this group with me because you were interested in, you know, what the recovery process looked like, how similar was it to drug and alcohol recovery. You know, what kind of questions do you have about sexual addiction and and the recovery process? Oh, I think that's a great question. Um, Thank you for asking. Uh, Well, one question that I would have for you is, is there a difference in, uh, I guess, the level of intensity um, between someone who merely has a pornography addiction versus someone who has a full, full-blown sex addiction. Okay. Let me see if I understand this correctly. Mm-hmm. Sure. Is there a difference in intensity if mm-hmm. someone has a sexual addiction versus a porn addiction? Yes. Is that what you asked? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, in actuality, you know, just, just, just like certain yes different drugs, no. I mean, crack and and um, uh, marijuana may have different withdrawal symptoms. Uh, one much much more intense than than another. Um, does uh, uh, when when someone uh, comes to you for sex addiction help um, versus um, uh, porn addiction help? Is there a difference in how long this takes? Uh, the intensity of the treatment. You know, um, that is a great question, and I've got to say that for for my clients that have a porn addiction, mm-hmm. they feel like they are as imprisoned by that addiction as my clients that have escalated to other addictions, you know, somebody who went from porn to perhaps massage parlors, to perhaps Mm -hmm. escort services, to prostitutes. I mean, Mm -hmm. clearly that behavior increases in frequency and intensity more so than the actual porn behavior. If somebody Mm -hmm. is is addicted to pornography only. But Mm -hmm. just, for instance, today I had a woman who said, you know, right, I knew I was in trouble because I was looking at a lot of porn that was incredibly violent. And Mm. my mentality was that I wanted to go to um, BDSM and to gang rape and to um, torture scenes. And when when my porn went to that degree, I said, there's really something wrong with me. I should not, I I can understand liking porn, but I shouldn't like porn that is torturous to somebody, that hurts them. Mm. And Mm -hmm. I'm getting more and more excited from that. And so I guess I would say um, from an individual standpoint, no, there's not much difference. From a relational standpoint, um, both in how one feels about oneself or if they're in relationship with somebody else, Uh, there definitely is a difference. And if it goes outside of the marriage and it involves other people, places, and things, it does feel more intense, absolutely. Okay, okay. So the next question then is, if somebody realizes that they have 
an addiction, whether it be pornography or sex addiction, how does somebody go about getting help? Well, there's two different ways they really can get help. Obviously, the Internet is their worst enemy, but it's also, you know, their greatest gift. They Google people that are certified that have the education for whatever issues they're facing. And, Jonathan, you know I'm a certified sexual addictions therapist. And, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, here in Indianapolis, I am the only certified sexual addictions therapist. So I would be a great resource for somebody who wants to know, what can I do? Do I need to get into therapy? Are there special groups? Blah, blah, blah. Now, truly, our listening audience, most of them have been listening to this show for years, but today we've got somebody who's never listened to a podcast before. We know that because there are over Mm -hmm. 600,000 open downloads, and not everybody will have as much experience as most of my listening audience. And, And so... Googling that information, finding a specialist to go to, and Mm -hmm. seeing if that person is a good fit is the best way to handle any kind of potentiality for sexual addiction. And I've got to tell you, I definitely have people that come see me, and they have some compulsivity, but they don't have a sexual addiction. You know, there's not time distortion. They don't lose track of time. It's not interfering in their relationships because they're – they're looking at porn 20 minutes, three times a week. Well, they feel horrible about it because it's against their religious values or it's sure. against what their mother and father told them. But that doesn't qualify as uncontrollable and compulsive. Mm-hmm. Um, what we have to do, since they feel bad about it, is alter that behavior because you and I both know that that can move into 20 minutes can end up being two hours, can end up being two days, mm-hmm. can end up being, you know, That's a where it starts. regimented. Yeah, exactly. But um, going to a certified sexual addiction therapist, and then I'm very prone to, I think if you're a partner listening to this show, you really need to be going to a partner-sensitive therapist or coach, you know, somebody who understands the trauma behind loving somebody who's an addict. So I would highly recommend that they go to APSATS, and that's A-P-S-A-T-S dot org, and get the help mm-hmm. they need from uh, trauma specialists. Okay. What, uh, what kind of time frame is pretty common uh, in order to, for someone to, to embrace a, a sex addiction recovery? Yes. Well, we know that to uh, – Part of the reason I ask is because in in my social work classes, as we're studying, you know, we we try to like to capitalize on short-term therapy, you know, eight, 12 sessions, and and then the person is is all better and you can send them on their way. Um, With some addictions like this that that they're they're rooted so deeply in the person, it, it can't typically be uprooted in such a short amount of time. What has been your experience? Well, that is a great question. And so what we know to be true is if somebody really is suffering from some form of sexual addiction, it's not something that can be um, solved in 12 sessions or less. That's somebody who's more than likely going to require three to five years of therapy and additional resources like 12-step mm-hmm. groups or religious groups that um, speak specifically to this kind of behavior, every man's battle, 
um, daughters of the battle, women of the battle. Um, so it really depends on what they would feel most comfortable with and what they feel like they need. They may want all of that. They may want to go to an every man's battle, and then they may want to go to SA, which is Sexaholics Anonymous, mm-hmm. or SAA, which is Sex Addicts Anonymous. And if they're doing those support groups and they're seeing a certified therapist, and maybe they're lucky enough to be in a therapy group, which is different than a support group, like a 12-step group, and they're doing mm-hmm. their reading and they're learning about their sexual addiction, they're going to get healthier faster. But three to five years is what we really look at for the average amount of recovery for the brain to recover and develop new sure. neurocircuitry that's healthy. When you say three to five years, is that weekly? A weekly sessions? Yeah, it doesn't have to be, but initially it should be because okay. there is so much self-loathing and there is so much... Um, self-hatred at this behavior that they really need weekly support initially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, regarding spouses, when a spouse discovers that their, 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 their spouse has a sex addiction uh, or pornography addiction, um, what's important for the non-addict spouse to understand about their addicted spouse? Well, you know, it sounds like an oxymoron, but what they have to know is that they are not in any way responsible for their husband or wife's sexual addiction, that they didn't cause Mm -hmm. it, they can't control it, and they can't cure it. But they do Mm -hmm. need to know that they really need to understand what it is so that they can determine how to find out what the entire truth is and then to decide how they want to handle it. Do they want to stay mm-hmm. in the relationship? Do they want a therapeutic separation? Do they want a divorce? You know, but they don't really know until they get the truth. And so we sure. really advocate for a formal disclosure, which is that process that you take both of them on to get the absolute truth followed by a polygraph so that then they can make an accurate decision. That's a great question, Jonathan. We've got time for probably one more question. Okay. My last question then would be, if you are engaged and you suspect that your fiancé has a porn or sex addiction, what should you, what should you do about that? I mean, what, what precautions should you take before getting married if you suspect that that is a problem um, that you don't want? going into marriage? Well, that is a great question. Um, You know, what I would say is get both of yourselves to somebody who works on sexual addiction and relationships because that is impossible to tease out by yourself. You really need a non-judgmental therapist who has that expertise who can help the two of you determine what is in each one of your best interests. That's how I would answer that question. So I so appreciate you um, taking the time to ask some of these questions that you know our listening audience have been wondering the same thing. And more than that, I so appreciate your work in the group. You do a fabulous job. You know, I didn't know how old you were, 
but you seemed very <laughs> mature. So I thought, well, he's oh, well, got to be in his 40s. So, <laughs> and I'm so looking forward to, to help you, um, you know, on this journey because you have a real gift for sex addicts. So uh, keep up the good work, okay? Oh, thank you. And Carol, thank you so much for having me on your show and for uh, uh, your supervision uh, with, the, uh, with the group and, and letting me intern with you. Absolutely. Hey, make it a great week. Okay. You have a wonderful evening. You too. All right. Well, that's the end of the show. That went fast. I am so happy to be with you. And um, as I say at the end of every show, there will only be one of you at all times. So I want you to fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. I'm Carol Jurgensen Sheets. You can check out my information on sex help with Carol the Coach. And we'll see you next week for more information to help you feel better about your life and to actualize that potential. Make it a good one. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.